It was about a year ago, a little over a year ago. I don't know if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, but I actually taught on how to treat those who are suffering. Does anybody remember that? And this series of lessons will go along with that because I'm going to begin a series this evening on the book of Job. (laughs) And I'm writing a book and I, you know, I have written a couple of books and I had books in my heart but this was not one of them. <laughs> it was not on my bucket list to write a book on the endurance of Job. But as David can testify, I know he announced on Sunday, I've studied the book. Well, what he sees is me writing as God gives it to me. But concerning all of the Word of God, and especially our including the book of Job, I feel like, you know, we know so little. There's so much more to learn from every verse in the Bible. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, So, but thank God for what he reveals to us. Thank God for the word of God. And we trust you, Holy Spirit, to reveal your word to us and to help and inspire and encourage us tonight. Hallelujah. Endurance is an important subject in the scriptures. It's a repetitive subject in the New Testament. And actually, I'm going to look um, at our text from the book of James, James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. We're going to look at, first of all, verse 11 in the New Living Translation. It says, We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance... You know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Hallelujah. We're going to look at the King James Version in a little bit, but... Uh, tonight's lesson is really going to be why should we study the book of Job because we are going to be studying it for a few weeks and how to study the book of Job. So that's what we're going to endeavor to cover tonight. Why and how to study the book of Job. The book of Job is the first of five books of poetry in the Bible. It's what they're called, books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Psalm of Solomon. And they're also called wisdom literature. 
They're called books of poetry because they're written in poetic style. And I like this quote from Oswald Chambers. He, you know, lived in the 1800s, and he offered this concise summary of the five poetry books. Job, How to Suffer. Psalms, How to Pray. Proverbs, How to Act. Ecclesiastes, How to Enjoy. Song of Solomon, How to Love. I thought that was good, but again, Job, How to Suffer. Recently, I read that 2020 will go down in history as a year of suffering. You know, that's when COVID-19 hit, and a lot of people suffered in a lot of different ways. They lost loved ones. They were sick themselves. They lost their job. There's a lot of suffering that has happened. And beginning in March of 2020, as you know, we were conducting online services only. And along with several other pastors in the Las Vegas Valley, we were engaged in a legal battle to reopen the doors of our church. And so with the COVID-19 pandemic, our world, speaking of David and me, was turned upside down like everyone else's. But I would say that our upside down, our already upside down world suddenly stopped on its axis when I was in a near-fatal car accident in August of 2020. And As I wrote, I pretty much have the book written, The Endurance of Job, and um, I've given a couple of people a transcript for their review. One of those persons is my daughter, Ashley, and she was like, I love it, Mom, I'm so proud of you, blah, 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 but then she'd kind of make a suggestion, and in the first chapter, I wrote just a little brief very brief summary of that, okay, I was in a near-fatal accident. She said, Mom, you have to tell more than that. It was way too big of a deal for you to just mention it in the book. And so I listened and thought about it, and then my friend Ty, Minister Ty, she wholeheartedly agreed, because I'd given her a transcript, So, in the last few days, I completely rewrote chapter one and actually moved some of the other material into a chapter two. And because of that, I do, I know that many of you know what happened, but it has obviously inspired the book and this teaching. And we're answering the question, why should we study? Why and how should we study the book of Job? And so I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony. So on um, August 3rd, as I said, I was in a near-fatal car accident. 
August 2nd was a Sunday, and at that time, the governor's mandate limited public gatherings to 50 people, so basically all who were here were staff. But on that day, we announced that we are going to open the doors next Sunday. And we had not completely won the legal battle at that time. We did eventually win. You know, in fairness, that's another story. But um, we announced we were going to open the doors and that we were, you know, preparing the facility and the staff and volunteers to comply with all the CDC regulations, etc. So then the next morning, on August 3rd, uh, all Monday mornings, I was a part of a prayer group uh, on the phone led by uh, Pastor Terry Pearsons, and I'd been doing that for years. We mostly prayed for our nation. And that morning we prayed for the Southwest Believers Convention that was happening that week. And I also participated online later that morning with the convention. And then because David and I were planning to travel to Minnesota to visit my elderly parents, I was you know, contemplating getting the vaccine uh, because of visiting my father had just got out of a nursing home. And so I was going to have blood work done that day to determine if possibly I had already had COVID-19 and had the antibodies because I had had symptoms earlier that year. So anyway, I was driving to my appointment in my Lexus convertible, top up, was passing through an intersection when a truck ran a red light of that same intersection and crashed into my vehicle on the driver's side and really found out later by looking at the pictures that that were taken of the car that the airbag on the driver's side did not deploy. It was apparently uh, installed improperly. The other bags deployed, but on this side they did not. Uh, of course, the car was gone, so there was nothing, no recourse with that. But anyway, I lost consciousness. I was taken by ambulance to UMC. And I actually have no memory of the accident or the first two weeks at UMC in the hospital. However, the written report says that when I became conscious, I was unable to speak. My left arm and left leg were paralyzed. The right side of my face was drooping. Um, I said I was not able to speak. They called my husband. They told him they thought I had suffered a stroke. But soon they determined with the CAT scan MRI that I had suffered a traumatic brain injury due to the motor vehicle accident. Um, So the MRI results indicated severe injury on both sides of my brain, blood hemorrhaging on both sides, and on my pons, the brain stem. And I had two different doctors, the neurologist I went to see, 
and my primary care physician after I was released from the hospital, they told me that the MRI images were typical of people who do not survive. The one doctor that looked at the images and said that said, um, that is the magic of my profession. There are some things we simply cannot explain. Because when he was told the type of injuries that I had and the written report, he said he expected me to come in in a wheelchair with oxygen. And so when I walked in, and then I told him, well, this is, you know, what was told me, he said, well, I, I don't believe it. I'll look at the images, but uh, I can't believe that because you walked in here. And so then he said, I'll look at the images, though, and we'll talk about it next time. So the next time I saw him, that was my first time seeing that primary care doctor, the next time he said, I can see it. I looked at the images. And he said, that's when he said, well, that's the beauty of my profession. That's the magic of my profession was his words. We just can't explain everything. He sa I said, the neurologist said those images look like someone who didn't make it. And he said, she is exactly right. That, that is correct. And that's why I'm saying I have no explanation why you survived, how you survived. So thank God I miraculously survived. And I am so very grateful for the fervent, faith-filled prayers of family and friends who prayed when I couldn't pray myself. So I thank everyone so much for praying for me and speaking the word and taking authority and saying, I've heard several people say, I immediately said, Vicki, she will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Well, I'm here declaring the works of the Lord. Hallelujah. So I praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, um, I'm thinking of what I want to say. One, I want to say, so when I did become conscious, which was er cognizant at all um, well let me I won't skip all this I'll tell you Okay. so in addition to fervent prayer my husband also fervently advocated for me medically and as well as with our insurance company um, so we thank God for the divine connections which God arranged that were instrumental in getting me the necessary help for my recovery. And one of the things that God did was, as you know, David, we have been as a church, and David and I have been involved with Christians United for Israel for many years, and we annually hosted a night to honor Israel here. And because of that, we became friends with a lot of people in the Jewish community, influential people in the Jewish community, we weren't never had asked them for anything. <laughs> it was always us wanting to 
you know, because God said in Romans 10, you bless Abraham and his seed and you'll be blessed. So we blessed them. That was all we wanted to do. And, but consequently, um, we had connections. And in January of 2020, I was actually invited to speak at uh, an Israeli-American Council, IAC, event. And David and I both went, and David actually sat next to and met a brain surgeon, just happened to sit next to him at that table. Now, this was in January. The accident was in August. But that brain surgeon gave David his personal cell phone number. Well, David never even called him until after his wife was you know, laid up in the hospital with a brain injury. And so he called him. And that brain surgeon advised David to get me into a rehabilitation hospital. Said that that is what her brain needs, not just to lay there, you know, in the hospital. And there was another Jewish doctor who we were already friends with, who was on the board of Summerlin Hospital. And he helped David, between the two of them, they helped David to get me into Summerlin Hospital Rehabilitation Center. Now, it was not without a fight, (laughs) I'm told. But here's the eerie part, was that I remember looking at David's cell phones and seeing the text from the doctor that was on the board at Summerlin. And he was texting David saying, I'm doing my best, but the medical staff at UMC is saying that Vicki is not responsive. She's not responding. She's not responsive enough for them to recommend rehabilitation. And therefore, the insurance company was only willing to pay for basic nursing home care. And that's where they were planning to move me. So, thank God, I got in Summerlin Rehabilitation Hospital. Now, get this. My first memory that I have of this whole incident was lying on the floor in my hospital room after being admitted to Summerlin Hospital. I have no memory of UMC. So I had apparently gotten out of bed by myself to use the restroom during the night, and because I was paralyzed on my left side, I collapsed on the floor, and I hit my head against the wall. Don't ask me why this is my first memory, but suddenly the lights came on in the room, and I'm surrounded by doctors and nurses, every, practically all of them on the, that floor, come into my room, and they're all asking me questions, and they're giving me strict instruction to never try to get up again on my own, to call a nurse if you need help. And this is, I'm basically just waking up at this moment. I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) And so, 
Furthermore, I've said this before, they put some kind of device in my room that looked to me like Darth Vader. And it would talk if I attempted to get up. And it would say, do not get up. Calling a nurse now. Do not get up. Anyway, so, of course, due to the pandemic, no visitors, not even immediate family, were allowed in my hospital room. However, in my book, a nurse named Rosie, who was a member of our church, she worked at that hospital on a different floor. She would bring me a latte every morning before her shift and rejoice with me over my healing and speak the word with me. But more than that, she got permission to take me in a wheelchair down to the main lobby where David met me. Uh, And one of the male nurses on my floor testified. He said, when Rosie told me that she was going to call the president of the hospital to ask him to make an exception for my pastors, I thought she was crazy. But when Rosie called the president of the hospital, he told her, I'm already familiar with that patient and with Pastor Sharon because of the doctor on the hospital board who advocated to get me admitted into the hospital. So he said, we can't allow anyone to come to the patient's room. But if you're willing to wheel her down to the lobby after you get off work, we will give Pastor Sharon permission to visit her in the lobby. So, listen, so Rosie wheeled me down every single day. I got to see my husband every day. I got to tell you, I felt so sorry for everyone else in that hospital and particularly everybody on my floor who suffered, you know, strokes and brain injuries and things like that and could not have their family there to support them. And one of my prayers during that stay in the hospital is, God, give me more compassion and... God, we must have your power. We must have the gifts of the Spirit. I covet earnestly the gifts of the Spirit, gifts of healings, working of miracles. Hallelujah. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, prophecy. Even especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because that gives encouragement and comfort Hallelujah, that came through Kiana tonight. And I prayed before church for the gifts of the Spirit to be in manifestation and mostly prophecy, because that's what it says. Why? Prophecy is for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. I'm telling you, we need that. I need it, do you? Hallelujah. So that's my story. (laughs) Um, As I said, uh, no visitors were allowed in my room, 
And in addition to the paralysis, I suffered double vision, which I still have prisms in these glasses, but they, they, it's improved dramatically to where I can drive. Praise the Lord. I just renewed my driver's license a few weeks ago. I also suffered memory loss and several other cognitive impairments. One of the biggest things was extreme fatigue. Um, and my neurologist was concerned about overwhelming me, overstimulating my brain, so I was given a new cellular phone with no social media, only a few close friends and family members in my contacts. And I was longing to hear from one of those few contacts in my phone, and this is all forgiven, but I want to let you know because it really leads into the endurance of Job. I was devastated to learn later that this person had called me. I don't rem didn't remember because of my memory loss. But I had treated her inconsiderately and so she stopped calling. And simple multitasking of any kind, which I previously took for granted, became confusing, nearly impossible to do two things at once. And I would unintentionally come across as rude and mannerless. And so I found that most people, including myself, don't have any understanding of the implications of a traumatic brain injury. And so feeling misunderstood and being misjudged is actually one of the most difficult challenges that I've faced in my recovery journey. And again, the way this relates to Job is 35 chapters in the 42 of the book are his friends misjudging him. So when you, we talk about the endurance of Job, what are we really talking about? What was it that he endured? Well, besides the loss of his 10 children, the loss of all of his wealth, the loss of his health, terrible boils breaking out on his body, his wife telling him to curse God and die, his, the speeches of his friends were the most difficult thing that Job endured. And that's why those chapters, someone might wonder, why are those chapters even in the Bible? Because we need to learn something about Job's endurance from those chapters. You have heard of the endurance of Job? <laughs> James actually says that confidently to his readers because the epistle is written, according to chapter 1, verse 1, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So these are Jewish believers. 
And no doubt they grew up hearing their scribes and rabbis speak about the endurance of Job. Now, I know that the patience of Job has become an idiom because for many decades, the authorized King James Version of the Bible was the only version people had. And the King James Version says, you have heard of the patience of Job. But the Greek word is much better translated endurance and all modern rendering, all modern renderings practically, RSV, ESV, you know, amplified, uh, the New Living Translation, which I quoted, they all render it the perseverance of Job or the endurance of Job or the steadfastness of Job. So, um, hallelujah. Why, I'm, I just told you why I have been compelled to re-examine Job's endurance. Uh, the book of Job has long been praised as a masterpiece of world literature. Daniel Webster said, taken as a mere work of literary genius, it is one of the most wonderful productions of any age or any language. Christians, however, often neglect this book. So, again, me personally, I think about 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 in the Amplified says, the God of all comfort comforts and encourages us in all our trouble, calamity, and affliction so that we may be able to comfort and encourage others who are in any kind of trouble or distress with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Uh, the Message Bible of that passage says, he come, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's, who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Hallelujah. So that is my intent and goal in writing the book. It's my sincere desire to encourage and comfort those of you who may be going through any difficult time. Praise God. So, in the King James Version of James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, it says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And then it says, You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. So, I mentioned the Greek word, it is hupomone, that's how it's pronounced, hupomone, translated patience in the King James Version, According to Strong's Concordance, it means cheerful and hopeful endurance, constancy and steadfastness under duress. So although it's similar to patience, most reputable translations, RSV, NIV, New King James Version, etc., 
more accurately render this Greek word endurance. The verb form is actually translated endure in the same verse. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. And so James, again, he confidently says, you have heard of the patience of Job. I can tell you, that, however, on the other hand, that I had never heard of Job growing up, much less of his endurance. I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church or even an evangelical church, so I don't remember ever hearing of Job growing up. And then, as you know, David and I recently celebrated 40 years of marriage and ministry, and I can honestly say that in all these years of being a Bible-believing Christian, I do not ever recall hearing someone preach or teach on the endurance of Job. I have heard about how God restored Job in various sermons, But to be honest, in our circles, when I have heard someone speak about Job, they point out how Job's fear opened the door to the devil. Job 3.25, Job said, The thing which I greatly feared came upon me. And I do appreciate insightful teaching on the negative power of fear. Right? Um... However, uh, there's much more to the book of Job. And James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, is really a New Testament commentary on the book of Job. In other words, James tells us what our takeaway should be from the book, what our takeaway should be about Job. And what he says is it's his endurance. That's what our takeaway should be about Job. And then more importantly, what our takeaway should be about the Lord. He is very pitiful. He is of tender mercies. Hallelujah. So that's what we're supposed to learn from the book, is endurance and that God is full of mercy. Hallelujah. Amen. So, hallelujah. So are you guys ready to study the book? (laughs) I'm just about out of time. But I wanted to give you that introduction. Why study the book of Job? Um, I'm not sure how much we're going to get into how to study the book of Job. Um, But I'll give you just a little bit. When studying any book in the Bible, there are some rules of interpretation to keep in mind. And, you know, I too have avoided the book of Job. I mean, those 35 chapters, you kind of have to drudge through them, I have to admit, right? But if if I will apply these two rules of interpretation, which I already know, then the book of Job becomes easier, much easier to read and more appealing, more understanding. And there are these, these two two 
rules. Number one is to interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. So we should, first of all, consider the whole of Scripture, because, uh, but because the Bible is a progressive revelation, we should certainly interpret Old Testament passages in the light of the New Testament, and most importantly, in light of the epistles, because those are letters written to the church. Amen? And then number two is consider the context. And what I mean specifically is that everything written in the Bible is for us, but not everything in the Bible is written specifically to us. Therefore, it's important to know and to ask yourself when reading any passage, who is doing the speaking and to whom is he or she speaking? It is not wise, for example, to quote a passage from the Bible as, thus saith the Lord, when the verse is not the Lord. Okay? It's actually a direct quote of, other, of someone other than the Lord. And sometimes it's a quote of someone, it's someone other than the author of the book. So, for example, I, I just thought of this example. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark 6.14, it says, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Now, it is true that, that the Bible says that. However, it's not a true statement. King Herod said that. And it was because he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. So he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. That's why the mighty works are taking place. He was afraid because he had John beheaded, right? So it's very important that we keep these two rules of interpretation in, in mind. And again, that's why it's so important to look at that passage in James because that is a letter written to to the church, and we're included in that. Um, let me read to you um, a couple other versions, and then we're going to have to close. Of Oh, where it's time to close. So I'm going to read you uh, James 5, 10, and 11 in the Passion Translation, and then we'll close. My brothers and sisters... Take the prophets as your mentors. They have prophesied in the name of the Lord, and it brought them great sufferings. Yet they patiently endured. We honor them as our heroes because they remained faithful even while enduring great sufferings. And you have heard of all that Job went through, and we can now see that the Lord ultimately treated him with wonderful kindness, revealing how tender-hearted he really is.